Aaron. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. At the time of our nation's bicentennial, a famous pastor, spiritual leader, rose up with a series, a book series and film series called How Shall We Then Live? How Should We Then Live? His name was Francis Schaeffer, and uh, I remember very vividly watching those videos and reading his book. My wife and I have talked about it periodically since then. Those famous words, How Shall We Then Live? They were taken from the words of the Apostle Peter, saying, Seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, how shall we then live? So the question before us here today, and as always, is seeing then that all these things are going to take place, just as Jesus and the apostles and the ancient prophets were told, how should you and I then live? That's our question here today on Viewpoint, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, God inspired the prophet Malachi to say these words. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller soap, and he shall purify. Wow. Those were powerful words, and so powerful that they were taken by the author who penned Messiah, the most famous oratorio ever sung, Messiah. George Frederick Handel. And who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and he shall purify. So, if the question is, who shall stand when he appears? Do you and I fit in that question? Who? Who shall be able to stand when he appears? The Apostle John wrote in his epistle, Whoever has the hope, that is, the hope of the second coming in him, will purify himself even as Christ is pure. So there's something about the Spirit that God is trying to convey, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, about preparing. What does that mean? What does that look like? In fact, what does end-time living look like? That's what we want to focus on here today on Viewpoint. Our special guest, David Heron, with his book, End Time Living, he says, despite conflict and hardship, all is well. Well, how could he say all is well when it doesn't appear to be well? How could the author who penned the words of that wonderful song, It Is Well With My Soul, pen such glorified, amazing, merciful words when 
he had lost his entire family at sea. How could he do it? Well, maybe it's setting the stage for how you and I will be able to say or sing, It is well with my soul, when it seems that all hell is breaking loose on the planet. So our guest today, David Heron, with his book, End Time Living, it's a small book that packs a wallop of questions and uh, discernment concerning the times in which we're living. David, it's good to have you from the famous, increasingly famous state of Florida. Well, it's good to be, good to be with you, Chris. <clears throat> Interestingly, I was talking with a man who was fleeing his country. <coughs> Excuse me, somehow I've got a frog there grabbing my throat. Uh, he was fleeing his country, a Western country, that was being taken over under COVID, and all freedom had just about been destroyed. He was fleeing with his family. And he said, would you please inquire of a couple of possibilities where I might flee with my family? And one of them he suggested, and he said, do you know of anybody from that country? So I said, yes, I do. And I called the person who happens to be a former lawyer and also pastor, as I am, in California. I explained the situation, and the party responded, saying, well, don't flee to that country because it's full of corruption and uh, you just cannot depend upon that country, which happens to be the country of her birth. She said then, flee to Texas or flee to Florida. Now, is that a word from the Lord, David? Should we, should we all flee to Texas and Florida? I think just about everyone is. <laughs> We're getting pretty crowded down here. <laughs> Very crowded. Yeah, yeah. But the interesting thing is that politics is not dependable. Have you noticed that? You can have an election, and two years later, the whole thing could be turned upside down. Four years later, it could be turned upside down. And it only takes 10 months to destroy all the work that's been done for generations. We're seeing that happen. You can't depend on any particular location because of its politics today, can you? No. Um, one thing that uh, I have learned from, from this study uh, is that God himself, in fact, Jesus prophesied just exactly that. Things getting flipped upside down. But the good part about it is that the flip side is the good side. In other words, we, we might have to go through the troubled times. And then we get flipped over because God is an absolute just God. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, and I quote, this is from Isaiah and, and Jeremiah, he said destroyers will be destroyed. He says the terrorists will be terrified. Uh, well, that is that, true, but the problem with that is, as Americans, uh, even as American Christians, we find ourselves addicted to prosperity, addicted to a kind of peace that the rest of the world has never enjoyed, and so we have an expectation. This is the way it's always going to be, and how in the world are we ever going to tolerate anything or deal with anything that makes us feel uneasy? Well, I, I think I think we have to first of all be made aware of the possibilities and what God is doing. Jesus said, "Do not be afraid." He was talking about the end time. He said, "Don't even worry about it." He said, "I got it." He said, "I'm going to shorten that." 
talking about the tribulation. Well, I know, uh, but the problem yeah. with that is, David, that uh, while people are living in it, uh, just a mere week of such tribulation uh, could appear to others to be uh, that God's totally forsaken you. That's we have a problem with our viewpoints today. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I was just trying to make the point that as far as God is concerned, he's got it, and he doesn't want us to be afraid. Yes, it's going to be very bad. Um, he, he didn't call it great tribulation, or, which really means great persecution for no reason. He said it would be in all nations. But he also said some, some encouraging things. He said he would shorten that time for the sake of the elect. Well, that's a um, wonderful promise, and we'll talk more about that as we go through end-time living, friends. That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint. How should we then live? What should we do? We'll be right back with you and David Heron in just a few moments and offer his book, End Time Living. You're going to want to get a copy. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. It's always a delight to be able to come before you here today on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most, to confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. And his perspective or viewpoint is very different than ours. We have been enculturated into a nation and a culture uh, in the United States of America. We have found it increasingly being turned upside down things that we never dreamed could possibly have happened. For instance, when I was a child growing up, have happened and are still happening and in ha- and happening with a vengeance that seem to be turning. It's almost as if we've been hit with a spiritual asteroid. Things are exploding everywhere. What should we do? What can we do? Why should we do it? And what does Jesus have to say about these things? That's why... David Heron is joining us here today with his small book, End Time Living, which is yours for your gift of $7 to Save America Ministries. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, End Time Living. Easy to read, simple, you can read it in an afternoon. Despite conflict and hardship, from God's perspective, all is or will be well. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, I'm going to be making later on uh, a special offer to you concerning this book and uh, one of my own. I hope you'll stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, David, uh one of the things that you have uh, really looked at here is uh, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, years and years ago, 1986 actually, I gave a message there on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, actually on the Mount overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And uh, at least that's a historic place where it's believed that he gave the message. 
And one of the things that uh, people don't really focus on from uh, those the Beatitudes, which are the beginning of that message uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, are the warnings, the strange kind of warnings concerning persecution. They come after all of the blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, and so on. Then he says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He said we're supposed to rejoice in that. What say you? Well, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to rejoice. I'm praying to God about that. Even Richard Wormbrand struggled a little bit. That's so bad. <laughs> but but um, from, this, from the, the eternal perspective, from God's perspective, overviewing everything in every age and into the future, into into eternity, all is well, uh, because he knows the outcome. And if you, um, well, the book Song of Song of Songs, the middle of it, the the, the woman is persecuted. She, she's beaten up, mm. and then she has to, you know, get herself together again and wonder why her lover wasn't there. Well, this is a lesson for us. Because that is that is a, a uh, an allegorical book. Um, my my wife in her in, in her Bible, she she just labeled the book Jesus and Me, and mm. that is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jesus never said it was going to be easy. Um, it wasn't easy for his disciples. Most of them were martyred. It wasn't easy for him. He was murdered. He was he was terribly beaten up and ridiculed, mocked, probably more than anybody in the history of the world. But it was for a purpose. It was to to redeem those around him who would trust in him. But he expects those of us who trust in him to take some of the responsibility for reaching others around us. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how behavior under, under stressful situations impresses people. And brings them to the Lord, even if it's especially the right behavior under pressure. Yeah, and isn't it interesting? We were talking about this. Uh, the word tribulation actually comes from the Greek word thlipsis, which means pressure, and uh, persecution is part of that pressure. Uh, in fact, it's the major part of that pressure. But we don't want to think about it. We don't want to do anything about that because we think everything's going to be wonderful and everything's going to be cool, and I'm going to be out of here and I won't have to be concerned about any of that. Well, if that be true, then Jesus, all of Jesus' warnings were fruitless, weren't they? Yes, and, and what he did was, was, you know, why did he go through that? Well, he was the forebear. Uh, he, he, he died so that we could live, and, and we go out, and some of us die so that others can live forever with him. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pattern there. Mm-hmm. And during the end time, multitudes, millions, maybe as many as a billion people are going to be saved, and it's going to be through this pressure. Jesus uses pressure to bring people to himself. I know of three men who, who, who wound up trusting him because they were terrified. They were terrified. <laughs> well, um, the they, Bible they, says that uh, uh, fear has torment, and uh, that's a, another form of the word terror. Uh, and, and they are going to be terror-stricken times. Interestingly, it, it's as if we're facing that even as we speak. For instance, yesterday, 
I received before the program, I received a very teary call from a woman in California who's been listening to this program a long time, just terrified over what's happening with Governor Newsom there, who is mandating every woman and child, every man, woman and child, they must get the vaccine. They, regardless of their persuasion, regardless of their physical condition, it doesn't matter. You're ordered to get it. And uh, just wondering, what should I do? What should I do? I don't want to get that. Uh, then again, I had a call from New Zealand. Actually, not from New Zealand, but somebody who would escape New Zealand uh, barely before they cracked down to the max there on the same issues, saying, now, where can I go? What can I do? How should I then live? And these cries are going up. Uh, those are just illustrative of what's happening all over the world, aren't they? Oh, yes, it definitely, definitely is. And you're very fortunate down there in Florida because you have a governor that's taking a strong stance right now. But, uh, you know, those even those things are fleeting. So, Oh, yes, uh, we, we know. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to know, David, as a, as a longtime journalist, why did you decide to pick up this theme to write about? How long have oh, you been a journalist? Well, that, that's a great question. I, I was a sports writer initially. Um, in fact, most of my journalism career was as a sports writer, except for one or two years when I established the religion section of the, at that time, Fort Lauderdale News. Hmm. And that really changed my life a little bit, because then for a while I was a journalist working on um, Christian themes. Uh-huh. Uh, and... and uh, I was so much into work looking at the Christian themes that some of the others were getting kind of left out. <laughs> so I finally talked to a friend of mine and said, they're going to have to fire me. <laughs> Would you please take, take my place as religion editor? But the big moment was uh, a year before my retirement, um, I was reading the book of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And I got to chapter 6, verse 8, where Isaiah is overhearing this conversation, which apparently from the Scriptures... The three persons of, of the Trinity are mm-hmm. talking, and they're, they have a problem. So they're saying, well, well who shall we send? Um, who will go for us? Mm-hmm. And then Isaiah kind of, I think, timidly pipes up. He says, well, here am I. Send right. me. And I, I would, instead of just reading right along like I usually do, I was stopped. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, here am I. Send me. Mm. And And the very next day... As I read through uh, more, I began to understand parts of Isaiah's prophecy that I had never understood before. Mm-hmm. And I, I got the impression, I'm not a prophet, Isaiah was given that prophetic gift, I believe, from the moment he prayed that prayer. And I think God gave me, um, I don't know if I call it a gift, not a spiritual gift. A calling? But he said, he gave, yeah, he gave me a calling to be not not a prophet, but an interpreter of biblical prophecy. And since that time, I, I have written nine books uh, um, in the Christian theme, and seven of them have um, had a lot to do with, with prophecy. Mm-hmm. So this just kind of evolved to the point now where I do think that End Time Living is perhaps my most important book. Einstein was important, too. Well, it's so practical. Uh, how should we then live? That's what Peter asked. 
uh, there, the Lord through Peter, when he was told, you know, everything is going to be dissolved. So then seeing that everything's going to be dissolved, how should we then live? Yeah, uh, I, it's a great question. Yeah, I just I just moved the then back. <laughs> I, I said, I, how then shall we live, or something like that. But mm-hmm. I, I was I was I was also uh, quoting from the same source that that, that you were speaking of before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've got a couple of his books also. Francis Schaeffer. Yeah, Francis Schaeffer. Yeah. Um, at the at a time at, when I was just kind of a. a, 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 a Freshman, so to, so to speak, in the Lord, Francis Schaeffer was was really one of the uh, biblical scholars of the time. Sure, and I have some of his books, and his stuff. Even though he was a little bit off because he got he thought that the uh, United States was going to go under by 1986. Well, that that changed in 1980, and we survived that. But he had the right idea. He knew that we were on a course toward destruction because of the immoral climate mm-hmm. in the country, which I believe has gotten worse now than it was even in, in Schaefer's time. Well, absolutely. It's catapulted down the track immensely, uh, such that uh, any of us that grew up or were around there at our nation's bicentennial can hardly recognize the nation today. And even at that time, uh, things were deteriorating badly. So, interestingly, you quoted Isaiah, and uh, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah responded, Here am I, send me. So, God responds to him then, and here's what he says. I'm reading directly. Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted, and be healed. Now, that sounds very strange. God, first of all, tells him, okay, now go and and speak for us. Then he says, but they're not going to hear. They're not going to hear. But that's exactly what God said to Jeremiah. That's exactly what God said to Ezekiel. It is the same message. I send you to woo and to warn, but they will not hear. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and there are consequences to not hearing, and that and that has to do with what's going to culminate in this, in all of this. With uh, before the Lord steps in and says, "Okay, that's enough." Yeah. But okay. There, there is going to be a lot a lot of. Uh, huge problems with persecution and, and there's also going to be other other I think the word I forget the word the scripture uses but it has to do with disease plagues mm-hmm. uh, and, and natural events which I sure. think are going to be um, related to the same source that will be the um, sign of Jesus return. right there in Matthew 24 yeah now interestingly now you bring another theme. And I think this, perhaps, is the most important theme for us to take from this program today. As we talk about end-time living, and that is watch and pray. Watch and be ready and pray. What does that mean? That's what we want to focus on in the balance of our program here today. What does it mean to watch? What does it mean to watch 
Now, I want to make available uh, David's book, End Time Living, Despite Conflict and Hardship, All is Well. It will be well with our soul if we learn to trust the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. That's going to be the big kahuna, friends. Trust. Trust and obey. Trust and rest. Wait patiently. This is the secret of end-time living. But what does it mean to watch? The book is available to you on our website, friends, saveus.org. End-time living. You can call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. $7. We'll put this in your hands. I think it'll be a great encouragement, an orientation for these increasingly difficult times. Stay tuned. Much more to talk about. David has it on his heart, and so do I. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Watch, for you know not what time your Lord shall come. No man knows the day or the hour, but we are instructed and expected to know the season. Therefore, if we're to watch, what are we watching for? And why are we watching? And what should be the result of our watching? And how long do we have to watch? What does it all mean? That's what we want to focus on here in this segment of the program with our guest, David Heron, and his book, End Time Living. David, uh, you focus a lot on this matter of watching. Jesus repeats that theme over and over again. The apostles do. What do you think it means? Well, first of all, it is the theme that Jesus mentioned most often in his his end time sermon. Um, And I thought, well, why? That doesn't seem to me to be that important. But then uh, I, I got into the um, project of defining what the Scripture means by watchfulness, mm-hmm. and I got this. It, it's uh, early in, in the book. Number one, to have been roused from sleep to be awake. Okay. All right, so the Apostle Paul says, Awake thou that sleepest, and the Lord shall give thee light. Number two would be to be cautious, active, mm-hmm. give strict attention to. We need to watch what's going on around us, uh, and there will be some um, evidence of what's ahead if, we, if we're watching what's going on around us. Number three, to take heed, lest through indolence some calamity occur. Um, again, it's, it's precautionary, but we have to be alert. We're not 
not just sit back and watching TV. We we have to be in prayer. Uh, uh, number four, to employ the most punctilious care in a thing. Number five, to keep watch lest one be led to forsake Christ. Number six, keep watch lest one fall into sin. Seven, keep watch lest one be corrupted by errors. Uh, and Jesus mentioned several things about false prophecy and false Christs that Christians were susceptible then, to then and are now. Mm-hmm. It's false pro- there's false prophets out there right now that are very popular. They've already prophesied things that were wrong, and a lot of Christians are still watching TV and watching them and nodding their heads. Uh, one false prophecy is enough to make a false prophet because God, God's Spirit, never makes mistakes. Well, that's why we're very careful here on this program, not to try to set a day or an hour. Uh, We speak uh, very much like we use the words of the Lord himself and his apostles, uh, warning of the characteristics. Uh, For instance, when I wrote the book, uh, The uh, uh, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, we didn't try to tell who he was and speculate on things like that. Those are the kinds of things that get Christians in deep trouble and actually, uh, shall we say, desecrate uh, the Lord himself when we do those kinds of things which are born of the flesh and not of the Spirit. But there are things very specifically that the Scripture sets forth that we should watch for. Uh, That's what we talked about in the book Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. The prophet Daniel talks about many of those things. Jesus talks about many of those things. The apostle Paul talks about many of those things. And that's what the book was about. And so what I'm going to do today is make that book available in a special way, friends. Listen very carefully. It's a $22 book, uh, 450 pages, $22 book, uh, has never been discounted. But today what we're going to do is offer David Heron's book, End Time Living, which is like a companion, and we're going to offer that together with Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, for a total of just $25. And uh, so instead of $5 postage and handling for each book, it'll be a total of uh, $7 for the two books, and uh, that way you're going to save about $7 or $8, basically off the price of Antichrist. So, If you want to get that special offer for $25 for both of these books, End Time Living and Antichrist, what you need to do is give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you need to write to us and mention those two books because it's not, that offer is not on our website. This is a special offer for today. All right? So don't look to the website. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Okay, now, Jesus in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discord, closes that out by saying, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. Then in Matthew 25, which is a continuing part of the Olivet Discourse, the final, just two days before his crucifixion, he's giving pouring out his heart to his disciples. And he says again, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. This is the theme. Watch, watch, watch. 
You know, uh, David, you were talking in your book about, uh, in the military, uh, someone who is called to be a watchman. Uh, ancient Israel had watchmen on the walls, didn't they? Oh, yes, they uh, they absolutely did. And, and to digress just for a second, Matthew 26, 42, says, watch, uh, 41, says, watch and pray so that mm-hmm. you will not fall into temptation. Now, there's a specific. Exactly. And my wife wrote next to that, be on guard. Uh, you know, it has to do with spiritual things as much, if not more so than physical ones, I think. Exactly. It's, it's a spiritual warfare we're involved in. Well, it says that you kneel not to temptation. And one of the the characteristics of tribulation is going to be massive temptation. Temptation to forsake the Lord. Temptation to play games with his word. Temptation to pretend that you're going to uh, accede to the demands of the counterfeit Christ, including taking the mark of the beast and so on, and think that somehow you'll be forgiven when, in fact, the Scripture says actually the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jesus was was very um, careful to specify. They just asked him, what will be the sign of your return? Mm-hmm. And that's when he delivered that great big long sermon, which has more occupancy in the Bible than even the Sermon on the Mount. It sure if does. The th- if you count the three locations. Um, and this all came, well, we just want to know what's the sign of your return. And he had to tell them a lot more because he knew it was important to tell them those other details. There, there was so much that they needed to know, and there is so much that we need to know to prepare ourselves for what's coming coming up. And the very first thing he said was, take heed that no man deceive you. In other words, watch that you not be deceived. That's what he was saying. Watch that you be not deceived. And yet today, the very spirit of the age is to be deceived. Yeah. Yes, it certainly is. Um, it's not only it's not only the false Christ, but it's also false prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people believe this guy on TV? I'm not going to name names. Who 30 years in a row um, misprophesied the coming of of Jesus, and they still kept watching him. Um, <laughs> we are very susceptible to, to false prophecy. And why is that? Well, because we want it to be this way. Okay, the truth comes out. We want. There is something in us that wills to be deceived. You think that's a fair statement? Um, that's part of it. Well, in but, the flesh, but, there's... But, but some of, most of the false prophecies are things that, tend, that kind of tickle your ears, you know. Yeah, I want to believe that, so I'm going to believe that. Of course. So there's a will to be deceived. Yeah, yes, yes. That's yeah. right. Yeah. We have a propensity in the flesh. We want to hear what we want to hear. We don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. And it's like a, a you know a two year old or a four year old putting his hands over his eyes and saying, "Look, God, you can't see me," or putting his thumbs in his ears and wiggling them like a kid says, "I can't hear you, I can't hear you." It's not that they can't hear; it's that they won't hear. Yeah. And I think Jesus's uh, sermon, in fact, both sermons, I think they focus together: the Sermon on the Mount. And the end time sermon, which was also delivered on a mountainside, by the way, mm-hmm. um, they kind of focus because that thing about um, um, rejoicing and be glad and being glad over over persecution, which is definitely implied, or if not outright stated, 
in, in the Sermon on the Mount gets into directly into uh, the anticipated problems uh, or persecutions uh, that we we as Christians um, can expect to face. Um, I, I think I think a good picture here is that of Peter, mm-hmm. who was susceptible at first. He thought Jesus was invincible, and then when he found out he was wrong, he got terrified and ran. A lot of prayer later, and instruction among the apostles, and he comes out, and he preaches a sermon that booms out across the whole city of Jerusalem. Now, what kind of microphone does that take? The Lord gave him that, yeah. because he because he had repented, and now he knew that that he, he faced something hard, but the Lord had called him to do it. And as we Christians enter the end time, the Lord has given us things to do, because there are so many people out there who are unsaved and going to the wrong place uh, unless they hear the gospel, unless they are told, unless they are encouraged, even even in the midst of trouble, mm-hmm. real trouble. Well, the Scripture says that God has not appointed us to wrath. That is his wrath. But that does not mean that we're not going to have to endure uh, incur the wrath of man. Otherwise, the warnings about persecution would be meaningless. So we're playing a game of let's pretend if we think that somehow uh, Christians are not going to have to endure uh, persecution. Jesus warned about it. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do you think you should be different than your Lord? Uh, so we need to be prepared. We need to watch, but we also need to be ready we need to be ready. What do you think that means? Well, Jesus mentioned that, too, a couple times. in the sermon, watch, pray, uh, get ready, be prepared, the old Boy Scout model. Be prepared well. Be prepared for everything Jesus is talking about. Um, it, it's not going to be easy, but the scriptures are very plain about what we should be watching for and what we should be ready for. Mm-hmm. At one point, he says, there's going to be something happening that is going to be uh, resulting in your necessity to flee. All right, we'll talk about that when we get back, friends. That's the next stage. This is Viewpoint. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. We're talking about end time living, how to prepare uh, in our own hearts, in our own lives, in practical ways, spiritual ways, and so on. 
And uh, isn't it interesting that uh, we just heard there in the spot that precedes this segment, segment of the program about cell church? Actually, what we're talking about now is house church. And isn't it interesting that when the early church was born, it was not born in cathedrals, it was not born in temples, it was born in house churches. You can read about it in Acts chapter 4. And they met together from house to house, praying and the teaching of the apostles and breaking bread together and fellowshipping. You see, when the pressure comes on, the way we have understood church and doing church is likely to change dramatically of necessity. I want you to think about that. There are many who are thinking about that. The problem is we become addicted to a certain way of what we think it means to do church. I want you to think about that. Not preaching anything here. Just think about that. Watch and pray. All right. Now, uh, David Heron is saying in his book, End Time Living, that it may require a kind of fleeing. And what do you mean by that, David? Well, he said, um, uh, let's see, it's in verses, talking about verse 15 of chapter 24, Matthew 24. So when you see standing in the holy place, Mm -hmm. in this case, I think would mean churches, the abomination that causes desolation, stop. Uh, Then, get a few verses further down, um, be prepared to, if necessary, flee to the mountains and, yeah. and get out of there. Uh, right. Okay, I think he's talking about the temple. When you see the, that is, there's, I, I'm convinced there will be a rebuilt temple, and the Antichrist intends to rule and reign from the temple mount. And when you see that happening, uh, then flee because all hell is going to break loose, and he's going to declare himself God over the entire planet. <clears throat> so uh, it says, when you flee... You better pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Why? Well, I'm not actually sure about that one. <laughs> well, it's because they're not supposed to do go more than a than a, uh, a Sabbath day's journey on the Sabbath, according to uh, rabbinic Judaism. Yeah, but we're beyond that now. Jesus well, we are, but that's that that instruction covenant. was given to the Jews. Jesus was speaking to the Jews then. Yeah, that was before his resurrection. Well, that's true, but he still yeah, was so, speaking so, to the Jews. Yeah, so the Jewish Christians then, they were the ones who, who did change things based upon what Christ had done and said. So um, the question then is, are Christians supposed to flee, or are we just supposed to stand fast where we are so that we can be a testimony amid tribulation? I think that's individual. I have to pray about it. I think some of us are going to be in the former situation, and some of us would be in the latter. Okay. Because he said, he said, stand firm. I don't know how many times he said, stand firm. Yeah. That that's not just in the sermon. That's all through the New Testament. Exactly. Stand, he said, stand firm. Yeah. He, in fact, the Apostle Paul talks about that. Uh, standing, having done all to stand, stand. Have your loins girt about with truth, and so on. Uh, Jesus said, "He that endures to the end shall be saved." Uh, that's not talking about physical endurance. It's talking about a spiritual endurance, not 
capitulating to the temptation to uh, to depart from the faith. So these are big, big issues. But can every Christian flee to some uh, uh, wilderness area in order to avoid uh, dealing with the pressures that are coming? No, I, I think that would be some, but not all. Okay. Um, and and I, I really think that when the time comes, the Lord through his Spirit will let Christians know which are which. You know, he may want a part of one fa- of a family to flee and the man to stand firm. He might, I don't know. But but I think that both um, both things are prophesied by Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think it depends upon circumstances, and mainly it depends upon what the Holy Spirit wants. Um, those who stand firm are going to have to face... Um, the temptation to deny Christ because they'll be beaten, and that's if you're tortured, um, it's it's hard to, to not give in to what they're torturing you about. Mm-hmm. Just and, ask Richard uh, Wormbrand. Yeah, he he prayed about it himself. He he said he told the Lord if if it gets much worse, I'm going to commit suicide, and he turned and the Lord just said, okay, I'm going to strengthen you. <laughs> and boy, mm-hmm. he strengthened Richard Wormbrand. What a great testimony! You know, when I was a teenager. Uh, David, I was uh, exposed to uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and uh, I read that from co- from page from cover to cover, and have never forgotten it. Uh, I think a lot of parents would say, "Why would you do that uh, to a teenager?" Or so on, instill fear. No, what it did was instill faith. Uh, if we are not, if we don't prepare our children our grandchildren, to be able to stand in the evil day. It's almost like child abuse, isn't it? Well, kind of child abuse in, in reverse. You know, there can yeah. be physical abuse and there can be negligent abuse, and I think that, that, would, that would come under negligent abuse because yeah. they need to be taught. They exactly. need to be trained up in the way that the Lord wants them to go. And, you know, I've certainly done that with our daughters as they were growing up and then uh, doing what I can with our grandchildren and with all uh, that come within the sphere of our uh, ministry and so on. Uh, to me, this is one of the most important things that we can do. If you really love your children, if you really love your grandchildren, and pastors, if you really love your people, you're not going to play games with them anymore. No, that's all right. That's right. Um, give, give them a book by Wormbrand. That's the start. Um, or, 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 or one of the books, there are several volumes that I have. I, I don't know which one is the original of the, uh, what was it, the book he mentioned a little before about the, the saints being persecuted? Oh, Fox's Book of Martyrs? Fox's Book of Martyrs. Yeah. yeah, there's several versions of that now. Yeah, yeah. There's but, another one that came yeah. out, uh, uh, DC Talks or something like that. Uh, it, it was a, a very modernized version of, of that. Now, yeah, the Apostle Paul uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. He's addressing Christians, and he says, now you know this. So if we really knew this, we would do something about it, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So then he says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Well, when is that going to happen? It's going to happen, friends, when the Great Reset comes. That's what it's all about. Yeah. It's about a global salvation 
for saving the world, peace and safety, massive global inoculation, and climate control, moving them all together for total economic control. And they're going to say, this is, this is safety. Now the government is going to be your savior. Now you can trust us. We're going to save you. And as uh, Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, declared just a few months ago, you're not going to own anything during that time, and you're going to be happy about it. Yeah, right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's Marxist all the way. Yeah. Until well, you get to the very end when they're, well, when, when they're killing you. Then, then Paul goes on to say, but you brethren are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, what he's saying is, get ready. Yes. Be prepared for end time living. Yeah. Those of you who are of the day, be sober. Put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Comfort yourselves and edify one another with these words. Now, to most Christians today, that doesn't sound like comforting words. But Paul saw those as comforting words. Why? Well, I was, the thing that was popping into my head wasn't the answer to that question so much as the parallel. Um, in 70 AD, we had the parallel that some people think was the main part of, of Jesus' sermon, sermon, Matthew 24. He was actually not, at that time, talking about what was going to happen in 70 AD when, when Jerusalem was destroyed, but he was talking about um, the bigger event, um, the end time when, when he returns and when mm-hmm. people go up to be with him or stay down to, to, to not be with him. And the and then the earth, we're on the new earth, and then those who are who are not are on the old earth, and it's not going to be a fun place to be on. No. Um, so I was just looking at that at that picture um, as the comparison, um, and, I, and I think it wandered a little bit off of your target. Um, so so why don't you get back to it if you want to? <laughs> okay. Well, let's finish up with uh, an exhortation the Apostle Paul gave in First Thessalonians five. In the very context of these times, preparing, understanding, uh, this is the time, these are the end times, and uh, we don't know exactly how much time we have left. No man knows the day or the hour, but we're instructed to know the season. So he says this, warn those that are unruly, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good. Now, he goes on to say this, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify or set you apart holy. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Now, I can't think of any more succinct uh, call specifically to end-time living than that, David. No, I can't either. I, I, I was just thinking about the importance of, of not underestimating the power of 
of what Jesus repeated twice in the Beatitudes, and that is loving even our enemies, um, mm-hmm. being prepared to be persecuted, because who knows but that you're going to be a worm brand, and people around you are going to be saved left and right because they see how strong you are. Um, the Lord is capable of making us as strong and, and as we are by faith, allowing him to do it. And we're going to have to be strong, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might in order to achieve the things that, that, that he, he's going to want some things from us. But the rewards are going to be great, as he says in the Beatitudes. You know, David, uh, as I was listening to you there, I I felt that the Lord had given me a particular calling as an end-time coach. Uh, for five years, early on in my uh, sojourn, I was a coach, and uh, some people will call me Coach Chris Meyer to this very day because of the approach that I take in applying the Word of God. But it's always about, come on, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's time for us to toughen up. It's time for us to be ready to play the game, so to speak. And you, if you don't get ready and you go out to play the game, you're going to lose. You're He's just going practice. to lose. Yeah. So He's the Apostle Paul right there in Second Thessalonians says, don't be soon shaken and your mind are troubled. The day of Christ is at hand. Don't let any man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first before the Antichrist or the imposter, the son of perdition, is revealed. So there again, he's encouraging us, he's exhorting us, and that's what you're doing in your book, End Time Living, isn't it? Yes, it really is the purpose of the book. Um, Jonathan Kahn was helpful with some encouraging remarks, and my wife, bless her soul, she she died a few years ago, but her her words are still living. Mm. Um, And they're precious to you. Well, right at the end here, End Time Living, friends, $7 is going to put the book in your hands, easily read, encouraging for you. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us, become a partner, send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Today is the day of salvation, friends. Today, today is the day, not tomorrow. This is not a manana message. This is today. End time living today. God bless. Be a blessing. And thank you, David, for your joining us here on the program today. Well, God Chuck, bless. Chuck, thank you for having me. And I'm sorry that I called you Chris before. You've been listening to Viewpoint thanks for having Chuck me on. Chris Meyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 